Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be back with you. I was gone last week down to a retreat at New Braunfels, and I regretted not being here because I wasn't able to give you a proper thank you for the installation service and the after-service party that we all enjoyed a couple of weeks ago. I got to tell you that my wife has been giving me a hard time about all of these sorts of things because she remembers that when we came here two years ago, you did something similar. Big party, install Mark as assistant pastor. And then last year, my kids threw me a big birthday bash uh, surprise party, and many of you came to that, and another big party, and then another one this year. And my wife has been saying, so what do you have planned for next year? Well, she sent me a text after the first service based on something I said during the announcements at the end of the first service where I referred to myself as the unofficial women's pastor of RPC and she said maybe you'll be installed as that next year for your next party. (laughs) So, I mean, let's make it happen, Captain. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If I, we are, uh, speaking of all these banquets and parties, we are in a series called The Banquet as we look at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, gathering with all kinds of people under different circumstances for all kinds of reasons so he can eat with them. All kinds of people coming together. And sometimes it's Jesus going to someone's house. Sometimes it's Jesus feeding people out in the field. But the point is, Jesus has come to eat and drink with sinners. And we see that so clearly in the Gospel of Luke. Well, in the story in Luke 7 that you just heard, you see the same thing. We see that Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for a banquet. The Pharisee is curious about Jesus. Now, many of the Pharisees had already decided that Jesus was a heretic. He was a scandalous man. He was a troublemaker, and they didn't want anything to do with him. But this man wants to give Jesus benefit of the doubt, invites him over, lays out a big spread. It's a banquet. When you see that phrase, reclined at the table, that's the idea that they are at a formal dinner banquet. This Pharisee wants to know some things about Jesus, give him a fair shake. Is it true what he's been hearing, that Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard? Is it true that Jesus is scandalous because he spends so much time with sinners and people on the margins of society? Is it true that Jesus is an evil man because he is pitting himself against the Pharisees from day to day? And so this Pharisee named Simon wants to give Jesus a fair shake. Now the reason the Pharisees acted the way they did is because they believed that they were the set-apart ones. That's what the word Pharisee means. Pharisee does not mean legalist. It means separatist. They believed that they were set apart from everyone else and that they were different. And they were the ones who were kind of holding the corner market on orthodoxy and things that were right and good. And so very suspicious of other people who didn't line up with them. Now imagine this scene. A Pharisee has invited Jesus into his home and laid out this vast banquet. And then suddenly a woman of the city a polar opposite of the Pharisee, shows up at the banquet. A woman of the city doesn't mean she was a citizen of that town. It means she was a lady of the night. She was an escort. That was her profession. 
And she was well known in that community as a prostitute. And so you couldn't get farther away from a Pharisee than this woman. And yet here she is, somehow made her way into the banquet. And not only has she made her way into the banquet, she's not lurking in the shadows or hiding off in some room, not letting herself be seen or heard. She comes right to the table and stands behind Jesus. Now in the Gospel of Luke, that phrase behind Jesus indicates something. It indicates that she's a follower. Luke is giving us an inside glimpse of her life, that she is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Simon the Pharisee doesn't know that. All he sees is a woman of the night. He sees a prostitute who has come into this banquet. And he's got to be wondering, who called this escort to come in? And what is she doing next to my guest, Jesus? Maybe the rumors are true. Maybe all these things I've heard about him, being a glutton and a drunkard, are right. Maybe it's even worse than we imagined. And the woman is standing there, perhaps debating within herself what her next move will be. She's obviously come with a plan because she's carrying an alabaster jar with perfume, an ointment that she intends to use. And as she stands there in the midst of everyone, imagine the embarrassment and the shame now that she has drawn attention to herself. And she begins to weep. And these are not tiny tears. These are big, fat, hot tears streaming down her face, pouring from her eyes, so much so that Jesus' feet are getting wet. Now, you might wonder, how in the world would his feet get wet if he's at a table? Well, he wasn't sitting at a table the way you do. He was reclining on his left elbow with his feet out behind him on the floor. And her tears are dripping onto his feet. And then she does something incredibly embarrassing. She kneels down and begins to wipe his feet with her hair, which means she has to pull her hair down and undo it, pull it out of its braid, pull it down from its bun, whatever it was in, and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair. Commentators who have studied the Uh, the Middle East and understand the culture of Jesus would say that that action in and of itself was tantamount to her taking off her top and going topless. That's how it would be in our day. It was that kind of scandal. But she is putting herself all the way out there, holding nothing back in her display of love and affection for Jesus. Everything that she does in this story from weeping, touching Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair, pouring the ointment on his feet, rubbing his feet, massaging his feet. Everything she does in this only confirms in the mind and the heart of Simon the Pharisee that she is everything that everyone in the community has said about her. She is a scandalous woman. And here she is performing these sensual and erotic actions on his guest, at his table, doesn't everyone else see what's going on? Doesn't this man understand what she's doing? Well, he must not be a prophet, otherwise he would know the kind of woman that's touching him. Simon is judging this woman 
by her appearance. And on one hand, he's not wrong. She is everything that everyone said she was. But on the other hand, he's not able to look upon her heart. And so he is left judging her as you would judge a book by its cover. He's watching her rub the feet of Jesus with this ointment, perhaps smelling even the fragrance of the ointment. The woman looks like a sinner, and yet there's something very different about her. Jesus sees in her something that she can't express totally, something that Simon certainly doesn't see. But what happens in this story is there is a complete reversal, a flipping of the script, if you will. Because as Simon sits watching this woman and passing judgment upon her because of who she is and what she's done and what she's doing now, he is simply unveiling the sin in his own heart. Sin that he tries to keep hidden because he is a holy man. He's a righteous man. He's a religious man. But Jesus is able to see through all of that. And Jesus is able to look into the heart of Simon the Pharisee and see what's in his heart and see that Simon is not a saint as he projects to everyone else, but he himself is a sinner. He has a heart that is full of animosity, bitterness, criticism, and disgust. And yet he looks upon this woman and doesn't see that she has a heart that has been transformed by grace a heart that is penitent, grateful, and sacrificial. Simon the Pharisee does not see in this woman what Jesus sees. And so Jesus draws his attention to the woman. Simon, do you see this woman? Of course Simon saw the woman, but he wasn't looking at the woman. Do you see this woman? The question I would put to you as well, do you see this woman? And what do you see when you see this woman? Do you see the same prostitute that Simon the Pharisee saw? Do you see the same lady of the night that everyone in her community saw? Or do you see a woman that Jesus saw that was changed by the power of the grace of God? What do you see? It's interesting, isn't it, that in this story, everyone gets a name except this woman. The Pharisee gets a name, Simon. The guest gets a name, Jesus. The sinful woman gets no name. Why is that? What would you name her? Now that you've had a chance to look at her, what would you name her? What would her name be? Well, to give you a little help, you might try putting your name on her because you are that woman. And if you can't see yourself in that woman, you can't see yourself in light of the gospel. You are that woman. A woman, a man, a sinner that has been changed by the grace of God. You've seen this woman before because you have looked upon her in the mirror You've bumped into her in your house. You've seen her in many different places. This woman is no longer a sinner. 
She is a saint. And to drive home the point even more, from the point of view of Jesus, she's no longer a prostitute. She is a virgin. All of her sins have been taken away. So there's a twist ending in the story, is there not? The twist ending is that the party crasher became the hostess and the host became the party pooper. And Jesus was the party animal who came to eat and drink with his friends in low places. Now, when you hear a story like this, you ought to stop and ask, where have I seen or heard this story before? Where have I met these people, these characters in the story? I know I've bumped into them somewhere along the way. Where would they be? So I want to take you on a journey through the Bible to show you that you have met Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman many, many times before. All throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the gospel comes to us in many shapes and sizes It comes to us in types and shadows until the types and shadows become reality and substance in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as you think about this sinful woman and you're wondering, where have I seen her before? How do I know this woman? Well, let me point you to the mothers of Jesus that you met just a few months ago. Don't you see in this sinful woman, Bathsheba, washing herself below the palace of the king? Don't you see in this sinful woman, Ruth, laying down at the feet of Boaz on the threshing floor? Don't you see in this woman, Rahab, the prostitute, who recklessly acts by faith in order to help the spies? Don't you see in this woman, Tamar, who disguised herself as a prostitute in order to get what was due her, what she was owed, to receive the blessing that was being held back? Don't you see in this woman, our mother Eve, after her fall from grace in the Garden of Eden, where she lost the privilege and the right to eat and drink with God. Don't you see in this sinful woman all of these women that you've met before? Glimpses and flashes of all of those women, even glimpses and flashes of you. This woman also reminds us of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament. You recall that Israel was portrayed by God and the prophets as being the wife of Yahweh. And it was this woman who was criticized by the prophets again and again as they expressed God's concern to Israel that she was playing the whore, that she was chasing after the gods of the nations, that she was giving herself to the world, the flesh, and the devil. She was distracted and fascinated by the things of the culture and utterly bored and disenfranchised, disinterested with the scriptures. Does it sound like anyone else you've ever met or known? God spoke through the prophets to Israel, to his bride. And again and again, he called her back to himself, called her to change her ways, called her to come back home to his heart. 
And he promised her that if she would only come back, he would not abuse her, he would not beat her, he would not condemn her, but rather he would heal her apostasy, that he would rekindle his love for her, that he would show her mercy, that he would turn away his wrath and anger from her, that she who had not received mercy would be receiving mercy, and that she who was called not my people would be called my people again, that he would bring her back to himself and forgive her many sins and make her his wife again. We see that in this sinful woman. The question is, how was God able to keep those promises and accomplish that mission? I'll take you all the way back to that time when our mother Eve, the first sinful woman, fell from grace and lost the right and privilege to eat with God. That God came to her and promised that he would send someone to put the world to right, to repair their broken relationship. That he would fix what was broken and make things right and that he would be able to bring her back to his table, restore table fellowship with her descendants. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see God working to fulfill that promise. And that's why you see God feeding his people manna in the wilderness. That's why you see God baking into the law festivals and feasts, because God wants to come with his people and throw a vast party, a party that shows that they are in communion once again that they're able to get their feet under the same table and enjoy the same meal and be in fellowship with one another. And so throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see this again and again, God setting a table for his people in the wilderness, God spreading out a feast in the presence of enemies, God working to restore table fellowship with his people. And the story we see in Luke 7 is no different It's not only a continuation of that, but it's a fulfillment of what God promised. Because in Luke 7, we see God in the flesh, in Jesus, sitting around a table, eating with sinners. Eating with the broken. Eating with the ruined. The scriptures tell us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. They also tell us that Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Less well known is the statement that Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners. What is the mission of the Son of God? It's to gather the people from the wasteland of the world, to rescue them from sin and death, yes. It's to lay down his life at the cross, yes. But what is the end game? It is to eat and drink with you. It's to bring you back into fellowship with him. You've also met Simon the Pharisee on many occasions. You didn't know he was a Pharisee. He came by different names. But the way you know him best is he came as an accuser. You've met him many times, accusing the people of God day and night. He never ceases to call for justice upon those who have broken God's law. Call for justice against all of those sinners that God would condemn them. 
And what does Jesus do in this story for the accuser, Simon? He does what we've seen God do for accusers throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the story of redemption. God silences the accuser, stills his tongue, and will not let him speak a word against his people. How is that fair and how is that right? It's right and fair because God has found a way to deal with the sins of his people. God has found a way to take care of the sins of his people. And Jesus proclaims that in this story. He says to Simon, her many sins are forgiven. Now Simon can see one set of sins. He can see one kind of sin in this woman. But Jesus says, you don't know the half of it. You're worried about her being a lady of the night, but there are many other sins. And by the way, Simon, I've dealt with them all. Her sins are forgiven. The word forgiven is important for you to learn in case you've never learned it before. What it means in biblical theological terms is that your sins have been taken away from you. That the burden of your sin has been lifted off of you. That the bondage of your sin has been taken away, so you are set free. In other words, Jesus is saying to Simon the accuser, Simon the Pharisee, you leave her alone. She has been released from the bondage and the burden of her sins. Her many, many sins. And so Jesus declares the woman to be innocent and guiltless. He declares the prostitute to be a virgin. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I don't know what limits you set on the power of the gospel of Jesus, but if you set a limit on the gospel that doesn't allow someone who is a prostitute in the eyes of the world, to be considered a virgin in the eyes of God, your gospel is too small. If your gospel doesn't allow you to change in your walk with Christ from what you were to what he's calling you to be, your gospel's too small. If your gospel allows you to keep yourself or others frozen in time based on what they used to do or what they were five minutes ago, Your gospel's too small. The gospel of Jesus sets people free, releases them from those burdens and that bondage and allows them to change. And we see that in this woman. By grace, a sinner becomes a saint. A prostitute becomes a virgin in the eyes of the Lord. Do you see this woman? Do you see yourself in this woman? Do you see friends and family in this woman. The sinful woman is like the Shulamite woman that we met in the Song of Songs just a few weeks ago. Do you remember her? Very passionate woman. This woman is like the Shulamite in the Song of Songs. She is pouring out her heart and her soul, pouring out her love and her affection Upon her king. Simon is concerned that what she's doing is some sort of erotic and sensual thing, but that's not what she's doing. What she's doing is something 
angelic and divine. Coming from a heart that's been changed. Changed by the grace of God. And what has allowed her to do this? What empowers her to do this? She feels and she knows in the depth of her soul that the love of Jesus is stronger than death. And that Jesus has set her like a seal upon his heart. And that has given her confidence to overcome shame. Assurance to draw near to him because she will be received and welcomed by him. And so as she draws near, what do you see her doing? You see her offering herself to Jesus, body and soul, as a living sacrifice. Here she is offering her broken and contrite heart to him. She is offering the glory of her hair and casting her crown at the feet of Jesus. She's offering the fruit of her lips by kissing the Son as an act of worship and devotion. And she offers her material goods to him. Whatever she is, whatever she has, she's giving it all to the Lord. Why? Because she loves him. And why does she love him so deeply? Because she believes that he loves her more deeply. And in this way, she reminds us of another woman that we've all met and the woman we all know and love. And that is the church the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to eat and drink with party poopers like Simon the Pharisee, and he came to eat and drink with party crashers like the sinful woman. And what do you see Jesus doing throughout the story of the Bible and in the story of the Gospel of Luke? You see Jesus spreading a table for his friends in the presence of their enemies, and he makes his enemies sit in silence while they keep the feast with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners. Jesus is like a party animal who has come to eat with his friends in low places. And I want you to know that even now and even today, Jesus is coming to eat and drink with sinners. And by sinners, I mean you and you and you and you, and you, and me. And he's come to eat with sinners at this table. Are you a fault-finding Pharisee? You might be. What should you do? You should cast away your arrogant heart, cast away your critical spirit, and come to the table of the Lord and receive grace in your time of need. Are you a faithless failure in the eyes of your family and community? You can't seem to get it all together. You can't make things right. You keep stumbling and falling. What should you do? Turn away from your wanderlust. Cast away the distractions and trappings of your desires and come to the table and receive grace in your time of need. Come back to the heart of God for you and know that Jesus risked his reputation for you, that Jesus laid down his life for you so that you could come all the way home, all the way home to the heart of God where you may eat from the tree of life 
and drink from the streams of living water. Are you a baptized Christian? Are you a baptized Christian? Then know that Jesus has washed you clean with the waters of baptism, that he has clothed and covered your shame with the glory and grace of himself, that he has anointed you with the fragrant aroma of the Holy Spirit, that he has poured his love into your hearts and that he has forgiven all your sins, even that one and that one. And now he invites you to come to his table, to take your place at his table in the banquet of grace. There is a place for you at this table because there is a place for you in the heart of Jesus Christ. Are you not a baptized Christian? Why? What are you waiting for? Stop holding back. Don't forfeit the grace that can be yours in Jesus Christ. Come to him. Be washed and cleansed. And take your place at his table in the banquet of grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.